continuing our study here through the book of Romans, getting down to the end. Uh, we're going to do a chunk of chapter 15, and then we only got chapter 16 left. And we're going to do a Lord willing, time willing, verses uh, 7 through 13 this morning. Now, I uh, kind of wanted to do a little bit more, but once you get into verse 14, it kind of changes topics a little bit. You know, Paul, obviously, as he's writing these books through the Spirit, he seems to have a tendency at the end of a lot of these books. He kind of just throws out point after point after point. It kind of almost reminds me sometimes of when I was a kid, and like if mom and dad were leaving, mom would stay at, stand at the door and say, oh, don't forget to do this, don't forget to do this. And this kind of reminds you of everything. And kind of in the last couple of chapters here of Romans, it sees these little points of saying, hey, well, don't forget about this, don't forget about that. So the two points that we're going to talk about today is being a servant and worship. Now, those are usually pretty straightforward, but we're looking at it from a different perspective. It's not the typical way we're looking at being a servant. It's not the typical way we're going to look at worship. You'll understand as soon as we get into that. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into this, Romans 15, and let's start in verse 7. It says, Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Key word there, verse 8, is that Jesus Christ became a servant. Now that's huge. Now, when we talk about service this morning, we're not talking about signing up to help out with things. Generally, when we do a message about servanthood, it's getting involved in church, finding something to do from 10 to 11.30. Hey, we need help in the Sunday school classrooms. You can help out at Special Olympics, car care coming up, etc. This is not the type of servant we're talking about. That stuff's all in good. The type of service we're talking about today is a heart attitude that Jesus had. If you're taking notes, write this verse down. It's out of Matthew chapter 20. Verse 28, where he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's a key point. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If anybody ever walked on this earth that deserved to be served and treated like a king, it would have been Jesus Christ, God himself. But he says, I did not come to this earth to be served. I came to this earth to serve other people, ultimately by dying on the cross for our sins. He set the godly example for us. So since he set that godly example for us, now what do we do with that information? What do we do with that example that he did? Well, now we go out and we try to have that same type of servant's heart in all that we do and all that we say. If you would, please, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Because what happens is, as you're going to Philippians chapter 2, it sounds good on paper. Well, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve other people. Boy, we're selfish, though. We are a selfish group of people. And we have a tendency, as you're going to Philippians 2, to say, well, my needs aren't being met. My desires aren't being fulfilled. And so we become very selfish and we start looking at ourselves more than we look at other people. And then we get really angry and we get really upset and we get really frustrated because no one cares about me. No one cares about what I'm going through. Don't you care? We all have moments like that. I've had moments like that as of late. There's some stuff that was going on, and I was having a little woe is me moment. Actually, I get up in the mornings early on Sundays, and I try to go through the lesson, see what the Lord has to say. And so when I was going through the lesson this morning, I really felt like the Lord was laying on my heart. When we talk about service, it's not about my wants. It's not about my desires. It's about the Lord. And so I usually try to take extra notes, and I couldn't find anything. So it's written in purple marker. Because as a father, that's the only thing I could find was one of my kids' purple markers. So in big purple marker on my notes, it says, not about your wants or desires. But that's what we do. See, Jesus set the example here. Look at verse 1 of Philippians 2. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, 
If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. That's the goal, is that as a church, as a body of Christ, we're like-minded, same love, one accord, one mind, and that one accord and one mind says we want to see every person we know saved for Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the purpose. So when we come together as a body, we're coming together as a body to have that element, to have that desire to say, let's move forward as individuals and corporately as a church to see people get saved. The problem is, you're human and I'm human, so therefore, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Guys, we're a selfish group of people. And it's hard to work together as a body and move forward when we're all always looking after ourselves. That's why God says, it's not about you. It's not about your wants. It's not about your desires being fulfilled. It's not about that spot in your heart that needs to be filled. It's about moving forward for the Lord. Look at verse 3 one more time. That nothing be done through selfish ambition. That each esteem others better than himself. That's a refrigerator verse. Put that on the fridge to remind you. Verse 4, you don't look after your own interests, but the interest of others. See, Jesus set the perfect example of that. Because he came down on the cross, and if, like I said earlier, if anybody deserved to be worshipped, it would have been Christ. But he said, it's not about me. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve other people. And if you're taking notes, write it down. You can go look at it later. John 13. John 13. An amazing chapter in the Bible where Jesus gets on his hands and feet and washes disciples' feet. Just, just think about that for one second. God who made the universe, is now on his hands and knees washing people's feet. He's washing Peter's feet and John and James and Bartholomew, etc. These people that he helped create, these people that he's going to die on the cross for their sins, is now washing their feet. Well, if that's not an example to us to put things in perspective, it's not about us. It's about the big picture. Well, I don't know what you're struggling with that, but we see all different types of struggles we see struggles like that when it comes to work relationships. You've got a coworker that's not pulling their weight. You've got a coworker that's really difficult to work with. The Lord says it's not about you having to carry that extra load. It's about being a witness for Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in a marriage where it's very one-sided, only one person putting all the effort into it, and you feel like, what about me? It's not about us. It's about the marriage moving forward in Christ. It's about being that example that Jesus was, of saying, I'm willing to wash feet. I'm willing to put other people before me. Let's look at verse 5 of Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. God says that's what Jesus did. For these 33 years that he walked on this earth, he put everybody else's interests before him so he could die on the cross. What an example that is. That's a servant's heart. Once again, it's not a cry to say, hey, sign up for this, sign up for that. That's service, that's ministry, that's important. And I encourage you to do that if the Lord leads. But what we're talking about here is having a heart that says, I put other people before myself, and I put their interests before me, and I realize it's not about me. That's a tough thing to do. It's a real tough thing to do. But Jesus set the ultimate example for us. Jump back now to Romans 15, please. He set the ultimate example for us because he said, I died on the cross. I washed feet. I humbled myself and became a man because I set that example for us. And so since he set that example for us, it leads us to our next point that we're going to talk about this morning is that idea of that he deserves the worship. Did you catch this? Right here. And verse 9 says, The Gentiles might glorify God 
for His mercy. As it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise and reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. Basically what it comes down to then is since Jesus set that example of servanthood, since Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that's why we worship Him. Now generally when we talk about worship, the message generally goes into some element of worship, that we do on a Sunday or a Wednesday, and this idea of corporately coming together and worship and the importance of that, and that is vital. I want to I want to stress that. But what we're really talking about here in this chapter is not just the worship we do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. It's the worship that you hopefully do every single day with the Lord. It's having that heart of worship, just like that idea of service. It's not just service Sunday from 10 to 11:30. It's a heart of service that goes every day of the week at work, in marriage, with kids, with brothers and sisters, at school, wherever you're at. Just like this heart of worship, this is not just a heart of worship from, you know, 10 to 1025. It's a heart of worship all week. Is worship important on a Sunday and a Wednesday? You bet it is. It's vital. But the truth of the matter is, that's just one tiny part of your worship during the week. If the only time of worship you have is a Sunday or a Wednesday, you're really missing out. Just like if the only time of praise and prayer and, I should say, Bible study you have is on a Sunday or Wednesday, you're really missing out. Hopefully it's a daily routine. And the truth of the matter is, the worship we do out here at church on a Sunday or Wednesday... Not everyone's always going to agree on it. Not everyone's going to like every single song. Not everyone's going to like every single volume level. Not going to like every single style. And that's not the point of it. The point of it is not about liking it. The point of it is, is that heart of worship. I was really corrected on this recently. There's a certain song that we do out here at church. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm not a real fan of it. It's not that it's a bad song. It's not that the words are bad. Just... Not one of those songs, and when the song comes up, that's, I stop and say, oh my goodness, and my heart melts and tears flow. I just don't. And I, and I know that's sacrilegious to say as the pastor, but I'm being honest. And it was one of those songs that I just didn't get a lot out of. I was actually talking to someone recently, and they said they came out to church one time, and they said there was a certain song in worship that really touched their heart. And you know what song it was? A song that I don't get a whole lot out of. You know what that showed me? Worship's not about me. It's not. You may be sitting there saying, this is the most beautiful song in the world. Why Why hasn't everybody got their hands up? Why isn't everybody praising worship? The person beside you may say, it's not my cup of tea. And there may be a song you say, oh, I can't believe they're doing that again. Well, the person beside you may say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Worship's not about us. Worship is about the Lord. And that's the point now, is let's look at this. Because look at the words here, and I want you to focus on, there's four words mentioned here for worship. And they should be basically the same for most all of our translations. If you check here, if you're taking notes, verse 9, the first word we need to talk about is glorify. After that, verse 10, rejoice. Verse 11, praise. And this is where your translation may be a little different. There's another word in verse 11 that some of your Bibles may have translated praise. That's actually not a good translation. The better translation is the translation laud, L-A-U-D. It's only used two times in the Bible, and we'll come back to that. So those are the four words you need to focus on. Glorify, rejoice, praise, and laud. Now, we'll talk about those when it means they really understand worship. But before you can really understand worship... There's an important word right here in verse 9 where it says, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles. That word confess. Most of the time when we think of the word confess, we think of we're confessing doing something wrong. I confess to you my sins. That word confess really just means to acknowledge. So when you're saying you confess your sins to God, you're acknowledging the fact that God is right, you are wrong, you have sinned, and you acknowledge that. I confess that. So when it says right here that we're supposed to confess to you among the Gentiles, means you're acknowledging who God is. 
So the first step to really worship is acknowledging and confessing who God is. How are you supposed to have a time of worship unless you realize who God is? Well, I know who God is. Okay, this is not just understanding that there's a God. This is not just understanding that he exists, that he lives up in heaven. This is understanding that he is your Lord and Master and Savior, so therefore he is not worthy of your worship. That's the importance of this, is once you have that understanding of confessing him and knowing who he is, then the whole idea of worship comes into play. Because this is what happens with worship. We base worship on our circumstances. If you came in and you've had a good week and a good day, well, then worship's great. God's good. If you came in and you've had a bad week, you're battling depression, you're battling discouragement, prayer requests didn't turn out the way you want, you come in and it's like, what's the point of worship? Because worship's not about you. Worship's not about your situation. Worship is about who God is. And when you have that understanding of who God is by confessing him, then you realize he's always worthy of worship. And every now and then I run into people that battling depression, to battling discouragement. And when someone comes up to me and they're battling that, I usually ask them, how's your time of worship going? And this is how the conversation goes. And this is actually a conversation that happened. It went like this. A person was struggling with depression and discouragement. I went up to him. I said, how's your time of worship going? And I explained to him that worship is vital. Worship gets our eyes off us and gets our eyes on the Lord. I quoted the verse where it says in Hebrews that we're supposed to bring the sacrifice of praise, which means that during a time of worship, it's not about you about the Lord. So I sacrifice thinking about me. I sacrifice thinking of, oh, I don't really like that song. I sacrifice thinking, I don't really like the way they're playing that. I sacrifice all that and I just say, I want to focus on the words. I want to focus on that time of worship. And so therefore, it's not about me. It's not about the baggage I brought in. It's not about my bad day at work, my bad health I'm struggling with, my bad marriage, my bad kids. It's not about any of that. It's about the Lord. So I explained to them that when you have that time of worship, you get your mind off of whatever is bringing you down in life, be it that depression, that discouragement, and it builds you up so you focus on the Lord. So therefore, when you get done with that time of worship, you actually are feeling good because you realize who God is rather than focusing on everything wrong in your life. So I explained that to them. And this person then says, well, I don't got anything to worship God about. There's nothing to be happy about. And I said, are you saved? Yeah. I said, right there. You have a home waiting in heaven. You have salvation. You have eternity. Isn't that something to praise God about? Well, Eeyore Christian responds, Oh, why would God want to save me? I said, listen, I know where you live. You have a nice house. You've got food in your refrigerator. Your needs are met. I said, isn't that something to praise God about? The response was, well, what good is it to have all that if my life's this miserable? So I finally said, you know what? You have a pastor that loves and cares for you. You know what the response was? They go, Pastor Rich? And I said, no, me. I'm not kidding. I said, no, me. Don't give Rich credit. He's not even here. Me. I'm the one talking to you. <laughs> the point is, if you come in with this bad heart and this bad attitude and woe is me, I got the worst life ever, the worst job, the worst spouse, the worst kids, the worst everything, there's nothing to praise, honor, and glory God about, then you're not understanding what worship is. You bring the sacrifice of praise. You quit thinking about yourself and you just worship who God is. That's what these words mean. The first word, glorify. What's it mean to glorify God? According to verse 9, Glorify means that you give God the credit for something that you can't take credit for. It has to be just Him. You go out on some evening and you see all the stars in the sky and you see the moon. You glorify God for His creation because you say, I had nothing to do with that. To Him be the glory. You get up one day and it's a beautiful spring morning like this and you just thank God. It's a beautiful morning. I glorify Him because I had nothing to do with this. You see the rainbow in the sky. You glorify God for that. Or as it says right there in verse 9, His mercy 
I had nothing to do with me being saved. It was all done through Jesus Christ on the cross. So I glorify God for his mercy. I'm telling you right now, when you have a heart of worship, there's always something to glorify God on. Always. Because you realize there's things that have happened that has nothing to do with you, and you're just like, wow, Lord, that's you. I give you the glory. The next one, rejoice. Verse 10, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Rejoice is you're actually having joy in a thing. Joy in something that happened. You came in and during worship you're rejoicing because, Lord, you got me through that difficult day on Tuesday. You're rejoicing because you had that good report at the doctor. You're rejoicing because that prayer request that you've prayed for for weeks, months, years finally happened. You're rejoicing in something that happened. So there's a time of rejoicing where you stop and you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you did. The next word, praise. Praise means you just praise God just because. Just because he's God. He just deserves it. He's God. He's God I'm not. So therefore he deserves my praise. And I was thinking about this. I emailed uh, Marv yesterday and I said, hey, what's the, what's the songs for today? Because I, I, I trust how the Lord's going to move. I knew the message was going to be about worship this morning, so I just knew that the Lord would lead Marv as he picks the songs there. They were going to be songs about worship, and there were some great ones this morning. That one praise hymn was wonderful. But there was this one song, and I wrote down the one lyric while we were singing it, and it was, the reason I live is to worship you. That idea if we just praise God because he's God. See, now when you have a heart of worship, you realize that. I glorify you, Lord, for just this amazing things that you have done. I rejoice in what you've done in my life. I praise you for just being God. But to be blunt, when you don't have that heart of worship, you come in you say, well, i got nothing good going on in my life. You're not understanding what worship is. See, worship is you focus on the Savior, not the circumstances. If you focus on your circumstances in life, you're probably going to be depressed, you're probably going to be discouraged, and you're probably not going to find too many things to worship about. Because life can be really hard sometimes. But when you focus on your Savior, oh my goodness, there's always something to praise Him about. That's what God does. And this is not just worship Sunday morning, Wednesday night. This is a heart of worship every day. I'm not saying that you get up every morning at 7 o'clock and get out your cymbals and start banging them or something like that. It doesn't have to be music worship. Sometimes it's that 10, 15, 20-minute drive on the way to work, and you say, Lord, I just want to praise you this morning for what you've done. And you just list off every blessing that God's given you. Or maybe it's before you go to bed at night, you just stop and say, Lord, thank you for what you've done, and I just praise you for who you are. It's an element of worship. One of the things that Dawn and I try to do when we have our time of prayer is we always try to start out with some praises, just praising God for who he is. Maybe he's done something, or maybe it's just praising him for grace and mercy and salvation. Just, Lord, thank you for who you are. So we have glorified, we have rejoiced, we have praised. Now this last word, verse 11, some of your Bibles may say, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you peoples. And it has that word praise mentioned twice. That's really not a great translation. The better word for that second word for praise is laud, L-A-U-D. This is not a word that we use very often in, in life, in English at all. In fact, it's only used twice in the entire Bible in the New King James Version. It means to laud. Laud carries the idea of praise, but it means more than that. It means to commend. It means to approve. The way we normally use it in English is if someone is receiving, for example, let's say a, a Lifetime Achievement Award, an Oscar or something like that, or someone's being elected in some type of Hall of Fame, the idea is you're lauding him, you're commending him, you're approving him for his body of work that's happened for his whole life. You're looking, you're taking, a, you're, you're basically standing, you take a step back, and you look at the big picture of everything that person did, and you're commending them and lauding them for everything they've done in their life. Well, when you laud the Lord, what you do is you take a step back and you realize, Lord, look what you've done. From Genesis to Revelation, look what you've done. You've created the heavens and the earth. Wow, 
Lord, I praise you for creation. You, you, you got Noah and his family through the flood. I praise you for that. Lord, you, you gave forgiveness and mercy to David in this time of sin. I praise you for that. Lord, you rose from the dead. I, I, I praise you for that. Lord, you're returning for us in the second coming. I praise you for that. That's what it means to laud him. You just step back and you see the big picture of everything God's done. And you just sit there in awe and you say, wow, you're God. And I get to talk to you. I get to serve you. I get to worship you. Wow. So the next time depression and discouragement gets the best of you, the next time you're on the way to work, on the way home, or whatever, and you feel that bad attitude building up, that's the time you need to get a heart of worship. That's the time where you have to have that sacrifice of praise, and you let go of you. You let go of everything you're bothered about, everything that's annoying you, everything that's hurting you, everybody that's wronged you. You let go of all of it, and you say, Lord, I'm just going to glorify you, I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to praise, and I'm going to laud you. And when you get done with that, if you have that heart of worship, you'll come out of that saying, okay, now I get it. I get the big picture. It's not about me. It's about him. Worship is not about me feeling good about myself. Worship is about God getting the glory, the praise, and the honor that he deserves as being God. And when you have that heart, it changes your life and your perspective in all things. It really does. Next time you're feeling pretty rough in life, I encourage you, find that time of praise and worship. Maybe it's putting on a uh, praise CD and listening to it. Maybe it's just you quietly on your own saying, Lord, I just want to praise you for who you are. I don't know. But it will change the way you look at things. And then you know what? We get blessed out of it. Because when we get done praising and worshiping God, we actually walk away being blessed. Look at the end of verse 12. It says, There should be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've heard us say out here numerous times, if God ever repeats a word again and again and again, it's not because he's not good at speaking, it's because he's trying to do it for a reason. End of verse 12, hope. Beginning of verse 13, hope. End of verse 13, hope. I think he's trying to get a point across. One of the things that we get out of our time of praise and worship is hope. We get that, that there is a reason, there's a purpose. God's on the throne. Even though my life is in complete shambles, my job, my family, my marriage, my kids, my house, my health, when I give God the glory, honor, and praise, I walk away with hope, knowing that he's still on the throne. Man, that's what gets us through. Now, do you want that? I know I do. I want that hope, and I look at verse 13. I want hope, joy, and peace. Those are the three things I want. People come into my office a lot, and they're coming in, and their lives are usually falling apart. So we sit there, and we talk, and we say, what's going on? And they go through what's going on, the struggles they're having in life, and they're just, they're just dying for hope joy, and peace in life. And they want some quick, easy answer to get it. They want something to heal their marriage, to make their kids better, to help them with the job stuff, to help them at home. Well, the answer is actually found back in verse 12. Should be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign. See, that's the first step. If you want hope, joy, and peace, you have to have God reigning in your heart. If God's not reigning in your heart, how are you going to have hope, joy, and peace? See, until you go back to our first word we learned here today, back in verse 9, until you confess him, and acknowledge him as God and Savior, then you let him reign in your life, then you have hope, joy, and peace. Generally speaking, and I'm not being judgmental because I see it in my own life, when I don't put God first in everything I do and say, I do not have hope, joy, and peace. Personally, in my marriage, with my kids, in ministry, or anything, when I find myself getting all grouchy and grumpy and a bad attitude, generally speaking, it's because I'm not putting God first. It's that simple. Ask yourself, are you having hope, joy, and peace? And not even having hope, joy, and peace. Look at this other word in verse 13. My translation says that you may abound. I just don't want hope, joy, and peace. I want my cup to overflow with hope, joy, and peace. 
The way that happens is God reigning. I tell you, I've gone to lots of hospital visits, very sorrowful, sad situations in life as a pastor. And you would think that you'd go into there and there would be that depression and that discouragement, and yet you see in that person hope, joy, and peace. You know why? Because they're letting the Lord reign in their lives. Whatever situation they're in, they're letting the Lord reign. Now flip it around. I've seen people that have the, on the appearance on the outside the perfect job, the perfect marriage, the perfect house, the perfect kids, and they don't have hope, joy, and peace. You know why? They're not letting the Lord reign in their lives. You've got to let him reign. He's got to be number one. And this goes back to one of our first verses that we talked about. We're a selfish people. The Lord... I'm not happy with how my life is. I'm not happy with how it's going. I'm not happy with what happened. My needs aren't met. My desires aren't fulfilled. This is not what I asked for. So therefore, I'm not happy. It's not about you. It's about Him. So when you let Him reign, the hope, joy, and peace comes. So you've got to put Him first. When you put Him first, that's where the joy and the peace comes from. When you have that heart of service like Jesus has, when you have that heart of worship like he has, when you're glorifying and rejoicing and praising and lauding him and you're letting him reign, then you have the hope, the joy, and the peace. That's when it all comes together. Can you turn with me to Philippians, please? Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Philippians 4 kind of brings this all together. Let's go ahead and start right here, Philippians 4. And look at the end of verse 3. Last phrase there talks about whose names are in the book of life. So that means you're saved. You're in the book of life. You have eternal life. Since you know that you're saved, it takes you now to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. As we just said a little bit ago, God is not bad at words. So if he's repeating something, he's repeating it for a reason. So Paul is saying in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, you know what? I'm just going to tell you one more time. Rejoice. Now, is that not a verse that we need to cling to in life? Just, just ask yourself, is there an element of rejoicing in your life on a regular basis? And not just rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. God says this is so vital. Paul says this is so vital. To have that joy and peace you want in life, there has to be that element of joy. Verse 6, you know why we need joy? Because look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know why we need rejoicing? Because verse 6, there's a lot of things in life to get anxious about. There's a lot of worry in life. There's a lot of fear in life. There's a lot of dread. But here's the thing. The Bible says that fear and worry and dread are sin. The Bible says if we're not supposed to be anxious, we're not allowed to not have worry guide and direct us. So therefore, we allow anxiousness and worry to get the best of us. God says that's a sin because you're not trusting me. When you trust me, those things won't be there. So what we do as Christians is we will never admit we have anxiousness and worry because then we look like a weak Christian. So you know what we say? We say phrases like, well, I'm just really nervous about it, which is really just code for I'm really worked up and worried. But I'm nervous because nervous isn't in the Bible, so I can use the word nervous and it doesn't look like I'm a heathen. But if I say I'm worried and anxious about it, then I look bad. The truth of the matter is, we all get worried about things. We all get anxious about things. We all get worked up about it. What are we supposed to do? When we get worked up, anxious, and nervous, what are we supposed to do in verse 6? Give it to the Lord in prayer. And how do you give it to him in prayer? You just don't give it to him in prayer. You give it to him with thanksgiving. Now, what does that mean? It means that you're praying, Lord, i got something really big coming up Tuesday. I'm worried about it. I'm anxious about it. Lord, I give that to you that you would take care of it and your peace would be there. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for getting me through this. I thank you for your answered prayer. I thank you for being a God that listens. That's what it means to pray with thanksgiving, is you're thanking him as you're praying for what he is going to do, for him getting you through it. You're already praising him for being God. And the result of that is what? Verse 7, you get peace. I, I can't explain to you how it works. I just know it works. 
I don't know exactly how it works, but when I go to the Lord and I'm worried, and I give it to Him in prayer, I walk out of that time of prayer, and I feel better. You know what? The situation hasn't changed. That's the power of prayer. Prayer sometimes doesn't change the situation. Prayer changes the way we handle the situation. A lot of times people come up to me and say, well, I prayed about it and nothing's changed. Well, maybe the situation's not going to change. Maybe the Lord is just going to change your attitude and the way you look at the situation. That's the power of prayer. But what happens is I have peace, and I have peace for a good 10, 15 minutes, and I start thinking about it again. So, Lord, I give it to you in prayer. I feel good for about 10, 15 minutes. Well, that's why this last word is so vital. Look at verse 7. It says we're supposed to guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what that word means is, Lord, I give it to you in prayer, and then, Lord, put a shield around me. Because that worry and that fear and that anxiety wants to bust right back in. Protect me. Put that shield around me so I can walk in your peace. What happens, though, when your mind wants to start wandering? Back to it. Verse 8. Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. See, when my mind starts to wander then, and I start getting worked up, I meditate on what is good and pure and, and just and holy. Or look at that last word in verse 8, praiseworthy. I start to praise him. When my mind starts to wander, Lord, I just want to praise you for what you've done. Praise you for the salvation. Praise you for the peace you've given me. Lord, I praise you for that. And I get my mind back on him. Or maybe you do something. I know for me, if I get a bad moment, a bad day, and things are just kind of going rough, I usually go grab one of the boys and say, hey, let's go play something. Let's just go do something. You know, Get my mind off that, and I'm going to focus on something that's pure and noble and just and good. Just the purity of just being with your kids and hanging out with them. That's sometimes what I do. Other times in life... Maybe there's not that thing to cling to. And you just got to stop and you got to say, okay, Lord, I need you to get me through this. Maybe it's something big, worry, fear. Maybe it's just a little temptation. I was in the bank the other day. And I was in the bank and ready to do my banking. And this gal walked in. And this gal walked in and she wasn't dressed the most appropriately. And that was something I really didn't need to see. So I thought, what do I do? I stare at the bank teller. That's going to look awkward. So if I look at the money, it looks like I'm going to try to rob them. So I found a clock. And I just stared at the clock. And Lord, thank you for making clocks. I don't know. You just find something. Because you've got to get your mind off that thing. And so when you're sitting there and that worry pops up, this verse needs to come to your mind, Philippians 4, 8. Lord, I need to think about something pure, holy, just, noble. I need to praise you for something. If, if something walks by, if there's a temptation, Lord, I need to get back. I need to think about you. Guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then what happens Verse 9, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and what's the result? The God of peace will be with you. I think everybody here wants more peace. I think everybody here wants more joy, wants more hope. Oh my goodness, that's what the Lord does. When you have a heart of service, you realize it's not all about you. It's putting other people first. When you have a heart of worship, you realize that God deserves the glory, the honor, the praise, the rejoicing, no matter what you're going through in life, because it's not about you. It's about Him. That's why we bring the sacrifice of praise. And then when the mind does start to wander and you start getting those selfish thoughts, you start getting that fear, that worry, come back to Philippians here. You say, I'm going to trade my fear, my worry, my anxiety for peace. And Lord, you're going to give me peace. You're going to guard my heart. And then verse 8, when my mind wants to wander, oh Lord, I'll just keep, I'll find something good to think about. I'll keep praising you. I'll find something just to get me through this. And then the result of that, once again, is what again? Peace. But you know what? The only way this works so if you go back to those first couple words, confessing who God is, acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior, acknowledging that he's God and I'm not, 
And then the next one, letting him reign. Letting him truly be Lord and master of all things. You've heard me joke about this a lot out here. There's a lot of times we look at our relationship with Christ as some type of partnership, as some type of co-op. Well, Jesus does his thing, I do my thing, we kind of meet in the middle and we got a good tag team going on. No way. It's all him. It is all him. It goes back to that song that we sang during worship. The reason I live is to worship you. When you get that heart and mind and soul in order, wow, it gives you the strength to get through those difficult times in life. Jump back to Romans 15. Let's finish this up. I just want us to relook one more time at verse 13 as we get ready to close here. If you just look at verse 13 one more time, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, I look at that verse, and Lord, I want that. I want joy. This world is really depressing sometimes. Lord, I want joy. Lord, I want peace. This world is really uncomfortable sometimes. It physically, emotionally, or spiritually, I'm struggling sometimes. Lord, I want peace. And lastly, hope. Lord, remind me of the future. Remind me of eternity. Remind me of the only thing that matters are souls being saved. And then the last one, I can't do it on my own. It has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this. I can try, and I see people try. I see people be able to make comments like, okay, I know, I know things are falling apart. I just need to get my head back in the game. I just need to get focused on this. Nah, it doesn't work. You can't do it. As we've said numerous times, if you could do it, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? We can't. He can. We give it to him. And when we give it to him, what a great trade. I give him my sin, my fear, my worry, my anxiety, and he replaces it with peace and joy and hope. Oh, my goodness. What a great trade. What a great trade. Marv, if we come forward here for the final song.